Hi, this is Doug Lip, author of Disney U, How Disney University Develops the World's Most Engaged, Loyal, and Customer-Centric Employees, and I want to welcome you to Randy Crane's Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 96 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, we begin the first of two parts of my D23 Expo 2015 coverage. Thank you again to everyone who supported me and made it possible for me to go experience this and bring back to you as much as I can of it. Now, because I wasn't officially media there, I wasn't able to get any official interviews like I did with Imagineering last time. However, I do have some friends to the rescue. So, I've got the recordings of some of the audio from the Disney Legends ceremony, uh, a couple of excerpts that I think were particularly relevant from the Once Upon a Time presentation, some of the segments from the Silly Symphonies celebration. Uh, I didn't really bring any of the music to you because I know that's definitely copyrighted stuff, but I wanted to bring you some of the intros and setup and descriptions and stories and things that went with that. And I was able to do some recording of one of the presentations that was being made in the Walt Disney Animation Studios Pavilion. And so I've got all of that for you that I did myself. I also have a brief excerpt from the Nostalgia podcast that is uh, Kim Irvine, the Imagineer, talking about how she got started in Imagineering. And I have several segments from Skywalking Through Neverland. They were really supportive in allowing me to do this and bring you these pieces, and you're definitely going to want to go back and listen to their episodes, which I'm going to link to in the show notes, which uh, they covered the D23 Expo in. And in fact, in the first of those episodes, I participated in an almost one-hour roundtable discussion with them on Sunday night, right after the Expo was over, as we kind of wrapped things up and debriefed uh, the Expo itself and our thoughts and things like that about it. So I think you're going to really enjoy that, and I'm going to put links to all of those things in the show notes because I think you'll enjoy it, and I want to thank them for allowing me to use some of their audio. Now, like I said, this is the first of two parts, so I don't include everything in this one. Let me tell you what's coming in this one, and then you can come back for the next one to get the rest of it. In this one, I have three of the Legends Award uh, recipients. In one case, I have just the speech that was given, and in the other two cases, I have the... Uh, kind of descriptive video with the narration by uh, Camille Dixon, who, of course, has been a guest here on the show, and included that with the speech that they gave after it. So for this, I have uh, Andreas Deja, the animator, uh, George Bodenheimer, who is, or excuse me, who was uh, in charge of ESPN, and Julie Reem Casaletto, who was the first of the Disneyland ambassadors. I also included in this one the segments from Once Upon a Time. Uh, We have a little bit about them working on the show, 
uh, particularly acting after having kids and how that's changed the way that they approach things. Also, a little bit of Jennifer Goodwin talking about what a huge Disney fan she is and a little round of Disney favorites that was played by everybody on the panel. And then finally, I also have included the Nostalgia segment that I mentioned with Kim Irvine and one section of the Skywalking Through Neverland uh, audio that they provided for me. So I'll introduce each of these in a little bit more detail, not much, but a little bit more detail before each section so that you kind of know what's coming. But that's the breakdown of what's coming in this episode. Uh, I also have some pictures that I shared on the Stories of the Magic Facebook page. I didn't do a lot with Periscope this time. Uh, I'm kind of still new at getting used to the idea of periscoping just random stuff and uh, the things that I ordinarily might have tried to periscope for you I was doing audio or video recording so I didn't really do as much of that as I thought I was possibly going to but there is definitely photos especially on the stories of the magic Facebook page and I have a lot more that I haven't shared yet I'm going to try to do that over the next couple of weeks as I can So here comes part one of the D23 Expo 2015 coverage. Sit back and enjoy. Okay, first up here we have the Disney Legends. In order, I've got Andres Deja, who is a Disney animator, and he got his start from Eric Larson, one of Walt's nine old men. He has done so many character animations that you'll really be surprised, I think, at the scope of his work, and he is just such an amazing person to hear how much all of this means to him, what he does, and what it means to the fans. Second is George Bodenheimer. He was the former executive chairman of ESPN and had a 33-year career with the company. And then finally is Julie Rimcastelletto, the first of the Disneyland ambassadors. Her clip package and speech really speak for themselves, so... I hope you feel like you're there as I take you into the Disney Legend Awards. There's nothing more exciting than a stack of paper with nothing on it because you can't do anything with that. As a young boy growing up in Germany, Andreas Deja had a life-changing experience at the age of 10 when he saw the Disney animated classic, <laughs> The Jungle Book. By that time, I was thinking, you know, by that time I thought, okay, try this whole thing, apply your Disney, it probably, most likely won't work out, but try it anyway, so just in case. Andreas went on to be mentored by some of Disney's greatest animation legends, and he himself became an important link to the traditions of the past, while shaping the future with his extraordinary talent as an artist and his skills as a performer. From his earliest assignments as visual development artist on The Black Cauldron, working alongside Tim Burton. He quickly moved on to animating some of the most exciting and entertaining characters in recent times. He spent a year in London as a lead animator on the groundbreaking feature, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That is the best thing I've Hercules. I 
your craftsmanship, your animation, it's all inspiring. Gaston, what a pleasant surprise. Isn't it though? I'm just full of surprises. <laughs> so many Disney villains to life, please welcome the incredibly talented Andreas Deja. Incredible honor. People ask me, how do you feel? Well, I feel great. Um, and I guess this means that the company liked what I, what I was doing for 30 years. This moment, though, takes me back to uh, when I saw Jungle Book. Uh, I was about 11 years old, way, way over in Germany and my life changed from one day to the next. It was since before Jungle Book life and after Jungle Book life. <laughs> and my, my life had a mission, and I had some odds against me. You know, my family didn't travel very much. They were very homebound. And each time I told my family I want to go to America and work for Walt Disney drawing cartoons, they kind of thought I was a little nuts. <laughs> and then I had my one-way ticket to Los Angeles, and my parents went shocked. And I said, well, if this, if this training program with Eric Larson doesn't work out, I can, I can always come back. Well, all these decades later, here I still am. But I want to talk about Jungle Book a little bit because that film in Germany just swept the nation. It was so huge, you couldn't get tickets. And uh, so it wasn't just me. I mean, Germany just loves that film. And this is something I want to uh, speak of, George uh, Bob. A Jungle Book ride in Disneyland Paris. The Germans don't come. and people still don't really know how these things move. So something fun, uh, pretty funny happened to me years ago. I was in Florida working on Lilo and Stitch. I was invited to a party, and uh, I was introduced to a lady who obviously didn't know that much about animation, and her friend said, this is Andreas. He's an animator for Disney. Okay, and Andreas draws 24 drawings per second. <laughs> and the lady goes, no way, that's impossible. I said, yeah, it takes, it takes 24 drawings per second. And she says, I can't believe this, this is just impossible. And then she walked away, she, she kept looking at me. I didn't know why, and then later on I found out, she thought I do 24 drawings per second. So people really don't have a clue still. 
but it is a wonderful job, it's a wonderful life, because it involves um, observing people and animals and your life experiences and try to put that into your work, because then it becomes real to an audience, and I was able to do that for so many years, and I'm still doing it. Um, even just as of last week, I was uh, finishing a scene, and each time, and I've always had this, when I'm done with the scene, you have this pack of drawings, you scan them, and you thought about the anarchy, you thought about the character, and you almost don't dare to push the play button because you get this rush, <laughs> because it could be a great scene, or it could be a bad scene. Anyway, you push the button, you almost don't want to see it, and if it's good, you have the best day of your life, because you just created something. And that day, nothing came bother me. If I get a phone call, hey Andreas, your investment portfolio is down $50,000. Fine, have a nice day. You know, just get this scene. I mean, it's such a rush to work in this medium. It's just incredible. Um, but I want to point out that, I, of course, animation is teamwork, and I had a chance to work with so many great, gifted artists early on, uh, as mentioned with Tim Burton, directors, storyboard artists, voice talents. Um, my goodness, I work with such great voices. Uh, Jonathan Freeman, who did uh, Jafar, and is playing him on Broadway right now, by the way. Uh, what a wonderful, rich voice. And then working with Jeremy Irons on Scar. Tell me about it. That man, and I've said this before, he can read the phone book, and I want to animate that. <laughs> There was one line um, that he read where I didn't go, I don't know what to do with this. I knew each time how, how I should play that, that scene, so that was a big privilege to work with Jeremy Hines. Um, I want to finish off with a little story. I was invited a few years ago um, to the IFFF, that's the International Family Film Festival, and a very shy female student came up to me and she says, Mr. Deja, I just don't want to say very much, but I just want to say thank you for drawing my childhood. Despite a three-decade career that took him to the top of ESPN, he never lost sight of where he started. It says a lot about George's character that he doesn't like taking credit for the incredible things that he's accomplished, always preferring to give the spotlight to his team and those that really delivered. Well, today, George, the spotlight is on you, and no one deserves it more. So, ladies and gentlemen, George Bodenheim.
thank you, Bob, to say that it's truly an honor for me to be here at D23 today and to receive this award. Uh, it's truly uh, an understatement just to say that it's an honor. It's also a real pleasure to have my wife, Anne, and son, George, with me here today to share this as well. past honorees as well as uh, today's, uh, today's legends, uh, to be included in this group is, uh, is truly an honor. As Bob said, and uh, it was in that uh, nice video, I spent, my, I spent 33 years at ESPN, uh, my entire professional career. So I can certainly say that I saw firsthand what it meant uh, for the ESPN company be part of the Walt Disney Company, of course, one of the greatest companies in the world. We were still a relatively modest uh, operation, operating 3,000 miles from here in Bristol, Connecticut, uh, when Disney acquired ESPN along with ABC in 1996. And I can honestly say, having lived it, that through Disney's support, frankly led by Bob Iger, fueled ESPN to be the top sports media uh, company, not only in the country, but around the world. And it was that, uh, it was that support uh, that fueled our company, and we never looked back. In particular, it was really a focus on brand and marketing uh, that would really change the name of the game at ESPN when Disney, uh, when Disney acquired us. In all my years as president, uh, 13 of them, I was often asked, what's the best part about ESPN? And my answer, I guess I'm going to continue to be consistent, Bob, uh, my answer was always the same. It's the people of ESPN, the thousands of people at ESPN that created the company, who were passionate about what we were doing, who worked hard every day to serve sports fans. Uh, they deserve the credit uh, for building ESPN. Two of those colleagues are here today, and I just want to thank Ed Durso and Paul Richardson for uh, being here today. Thanks for being here. It's also really nice to be back at Disney and uh, see a number of my Disney colleagues as well, really special. But it's the people of ESPN uh, that deserves this, the credit for this, for what the company's become. And it's on their behalf that I am honored accept this uh, Disney Legend Award. It's an honor also to be associated with the Walt Disney Company. Thank you. Our first honoree comes to us from Disneyland and had the privilege of working with Walt himself. Let's take a look. Anniversary year. How do you do? 
For many decades, Disney ambassadors have traveled far and wide, attending special events, supporting charitable causes, and spreading goodwill. But the long tradition began with a single individual, Julie Reen Casaletto. Born in Texas, Julie moved with her family to Long Beach, California. During college, she began working as a tour guide at Disneyland and developed a lasting love and pride for the park and what it represented. I didn't consider it a job. It was just a great deal of fun. After two years as a tour guide, Julie was encouraged to apply for a new role, that of Disneyland ambassador to the world. I had the very grand privilege of representing Disneyland and the Disney organization. In 1965, the need arose for a special person who could travel around the world to represent the company and the theme park when Walt wasn't personally available to do it himself. Julie was the ideal choice. As Disneyland's first ambassador, Julie spread the spirit of friendliness and happiness wherever she went. I see you're ready now to take off. Yes, Walt, and I'm looking forward to meeting some of you personally. Traveling extensively across the United States and through Europe and Asia, she often accepted awards and honors on behalf of Walt and got to see Walt's famous sense of humor up close. That he'll be audio animatronic. Audio animatronic, that's right. She's sharp. Walt looked at the script, he gave me the script, I looked at the script, and he said, let's go scriptless. <laughs> I said, okay, let's do it. So that's what we did. Well, now you got into this mess by going down a waterfall. Now, how would you suppose to get them out there? By going up the waterfall? That's right. Anything's possible at Disneyland. It's always good to come home, and this is a part of my life and my family, and I consider this home. We want to say thank you for giving birth to something absolutely magical. For showing us all how to carry the friendly spirit of Disney around the world. For being the embodiment of all the happiness our company represents. Mahalo, Julie. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Julie. Thank you from every one of us. For bringing to life the kind of magical dream that can bloom from one brilliant speck of pixie dust. This is Walt relished in seeing the delight of his guests at the park. We're equally delighted today be honoring the woman who set the standard for all the incredible Disney ambassadors that have followed in her footsteps. And that is a high bar indeed. So please welcome Julie Ring Casaletto. And after seeing all that we have on the screens, I'm still greatly humbled to be amongst those who are currently <laughs> D Disney legends and those of us, of course, becoming Disney legends. You will not be surprised when I tell you, though, the greatest honor was to get to know the man, Walt Disney. 
53 years ago, I came out to Disneyland because I wanted to have a summertime job. I was thrilled to become a tour guide and to become a cast member of Disneyland. Every time I would come to work, to me it wasn't work at all. It was fun. Today when I come to Disneyland or any of the parks, again, it's so much fun. 50 years ago, I sat across the desk from Walt Disney in his office in Burbank. He wanted to know if he could help to, me to accomplish certain goals that I had in life. I was intrigued. I wanted to know how he was going to do, go about doing that. He asked me, would you be the Disneyland ambassador? Would you travel worldwide for me, for the Disney company, for Disneyland, for my family, my wife, my daughters, representing us? Wow, it was a tall order. And I knew it was like an e-ticket ride and I was off and going. <laughs> I visited Heads of State, Crown Princes. I visited Walt's Godchildren down in Mexico City. And I went along with Walt, his wife Lily, and his daughters Diane and Sharon back to the 1965 World's Fair to open great moments with Mr. Lincoln. Ooh. It was brand new back then and I had never seen it. So Walt invited me to go into the theater, just he and I, in this big theater. We sat there and we watched the performance. I was so touched. By the end of the show, I must admit I had tears, and my heart was beating with patriotic pride. Walt was thrilled. It was just the reaction he wanted. So he knew, bingo, he had made it. Those were the kinds of experiences I had during that time. They were grand. Since that day in his office, my life has continued to be filled with pixie dust and magic. Here on this stage, the sensations, the tingle that goes from my head to my foot, let me know how wonderful all of this is. Somewhere I know, Walt is looking down. He's smiling, that impish smile that he had. And his eyes like the eyes of a boy as they twinkle with excitement. And I know he is pleased, he is proud to see that Disneyland and the Walt Disney Company, the Disney Company today, continue to spread the happiness and the magic throughout this world for children of all ages. Today, I would like to say thank you to Walt, to the Disney Company, and to all of you Disney fans. Thank you for your recognition for my Disney years. Thank you for honoring me with this very prestigious award as a Disney legend. It's magic. Oh, something I forgot to mention at the beginning of that section of the Disney legends. The person you hear introducing each of them is President and CEO of the Walt Disney Company, Bob Iger. Now... Next up is a brief clip from the 60 Years of Imagineering presentation that was at the D23 Expo this year. This is Kim Irvine, art director for Walt Disney Imagineering, talking about how she got started in uh, working with Walt Disney Imagineering and what was different for her about it. 
Uh, I hope you enjoy this short clip courtesy of the Nostalgia Podcast, episode number 358. Okay, so I want to ask, I want to start with Ken and say that the question is, what inspired you to join Disney? Well, um, my story is a little bit different. I was a Disney brat from the beginning. My, my mom and dad were both uh, Disney people. My dad was an animator at the studio. And my mom was, of course, also a, a wet imagineer at that time, Madame Leona. And uh, she was working in the model shop. And um, in 1970, they, they were working on Walt Disney World and trying to finish that up. And I think they needed to recruit quite a few people to work on that. And I had been trained as an artist by both of my parents from the time I could pick up a pencil. And so I decided that I would like to go work there as an intern for the summer. And that was in 1970, and I'm still there. But if you can imagine, um, I mean, this place, I was a little afraid to, to do this because I felt like I had to follow in my mom and dad's shoes, you know, and that's really difficult because you feel like you really have to prove that you deserve to work as an Imagineer because, you know, people may think you're just there because of your parents. And so I really, really worked hard. But this place was so amazing. I mean, talking about being inspired. The, the model shop was one big room. When you walked into that model room, Blaine Gibson was sitting with the sculptors in back and Fred Jurger and... Uh, <laughs> Well, yeah, and Harriet and uh, Jerger sat up in front by the sink, which is perfect because you always had to walk by them and chat with them when you were washing your brushes and such. And they had a minor bird on their desk that they actually uh, were studying to use as, I think, part of GE, actually. So they wanted to figure out how the minor birds would talk. Yeah, yeah Joker was its name. But all of these people just sat in a big room with very little division between them and all worked, worked together on these tables and people wore different hats. They would uh, feather a tiki bird one day and paint a small world doll the next. And it was this wonderful magic shop of, of people and experiences. And so I knew after one week, this was the place for me. Next up, we have some of the audio from episode 90 of Skywalking Through Neverland. Much like with Nostalgia episode 358, I really encourage you to go back to listen to Skywalking Through Neverland episode 90 and episode 89, and that's the one that has the roundtable post-expo wrap-up discussion. Uh, the part that I'm using in this episode from them is the uh, four sections of their interview with Randy Thornton. Randy is a Disney music historian, and he worked on the re-release of the Star Wars read-alongs. Huge Star Wars fan also. So the four sections I use are him talking about how he got started with Disney music, a section about meeting and working with James Earl Jones, also about what it's like to work with voice artist Corey Burton, and finally, a little bit about actually physically in person seeing and working with and handling some of the sheet music. You have a huge history with Star Wars, and let's let's talk about this. Well, for me, you know... Uh... The first film that ever sort of struck me when I was a kid was Mary Poppins in in, in 64. And, and, and I became a fan of the Sherman Brothers music, and I was a Disney fan and everything. And then in 1977, uh, my junior year in high school, uh, my ears were peeled back when I heard John Williams score for the first time. 
uh, he changed everything. I wanted to be a film score composer, and, you know, I, I know music, but when I went to college, I wanted to be a high school band director, and when I went to college, um, my methods were wrong. I got the right answers, but uh, my professor said that uh, if you're going to be a teacher, I can't allow you to dement the minds of our youth. So you're going to have to learn everything all over again. So I just, yeah. So I worked at Art Center College of Design, met an editor there uh, who eventually started working at Disney, and I started working at Disney there. And uh, within a couple of years, I was restoring the classic soundtracks and, and working with this stuff. And uh, it all goes back to that melding of Disney and Star Wars. And now that they're all one big family now, I mean, January will be my 29th anniversary at Disney. And so it's only within this last few years that we're all one big happy family. And I can't believe that both of my passions are now in one place. And what was really great, uh, when we were doing The Lion King, um, we did a spinoff thing of uh, Mufasa telling Simba about this story, sort of like a Christmas story. And we got James Earl Jones to narrate. And he's an awesome man. He is just such a sweetheart. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And I, when you're in this business, you know, you don't want to be a fan, even though you are. So you have to curtail it a little bit and be professional. And um, James uh, is dyslexic, and he overcomes a stutter, and it takes him a while to get through the thing. And uh, we were about halfway through, and we knew he had another session later on. And he goes, no, as long as you're willing to sit here and listen to me. I go, I'll sit here and listen to you all day long for the rest of my life. <laughs> But I had to have him sign the after paperwork uh, for the work that he had done. And I had brought my original Don Post uh, Darth Vader helmet. And it was one of those, you know, do I, you know, but he was so cool throughout the whole session. So I had him go in and sign the paperwork. And I go, Mr. Jones, I was wondering if you can do me a favor. And I pulled the helmet out. And he goes, oh, yes. <laughs> that right there sounded like a <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and... Uh, I had him sign the inside of the helmet, and he's signing it in a silver pen. He goes, "You never si I never signed a helmet before. So maybe I was the first one. I don't know. Whoa. But uh, he signs it. He goes, to Randy, may the force be with you, James Earl Jones, and the voice of Lord Vader. He goes, I always put the voice of Lord Vader because Dave Prowse thinks he's Darth Vader. <laughs> when I was doing all the read-alongs at Disney Records, you know, I met an incredible uh, amount of voice cast folks. I mean, and, and these people are awesome. It's an incredible community. Um, I, I can't remember exactly what that documentary is where it talks about all these voice actors. Um, I can't remember. But it's awesome. I mean, they're a community. People will come in like Corey Burton. I love Corey. I've, I've worked with him forever. And if he comes in, he goes, you know, I'm not really right for that part, but you know who would. And he does it. And he won't do impressions of actors who are living. He says, you have to get them. And, you know, and I really respect that. Um, and Corey's just, first off, he, he loves the whole idea of voice acting and how it started in radio and, and all these things. And so he pays attention to the people that preceded him. And he idolizes these people, and you know, like Paul Fries and Hans Conried and everything. But nothing uh, beats, because Corey at one time was the voice of Captain Hook. He still is. And he's also the voice of Smee. And we did a Peter Pan read-along, and he has a conversation with himself. It's unbelievable. And Corey's just this, this wiry little guy, 
and these this big voice comes out of him because he works on it and he 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 truly is an artist and a craftsman. Right. So because you said you now have access to the entire Star Wars library here. Yeah, I, I'm a kid in a candy store. You know, I, I was a Disney fan from Mary Poppins and then in 77 with Star Wars. And now that they're both one great big family, I mean, really? And they pay me every week. <laughs> okay. Unbelievable. I have a big question then. You're a music historian. Have you seen actual film scores like Star Wars, John Williams film scores? I actually saw, uh, I don't know whether they were originals or copies, but they were all handwritten from uh, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Wow, mind blown. (laughs) I've seen all the Disney stuff. Uh, We are now back on the studio lot in the old team building, and that's an acronym for technical engineering and machining, and that's where uh, the parts for the multiplane camera were built. Walt learned how to machine uh, equipment in that. Uh, building and he built the Lily Bell there, maintained it at his barn in his home, but he built it there. And being back on the lot again in the ink and paint building right next door is our music library. And I've gone through it, you know, about 20 years ago. All the original manuscripts still exist the full orchestrated score, the piano conductor score, the oboe bit, the viola part I mean, everything. It's all just sitting right there. I've held in my hands. The two pieces of music that Larry Morey and Frank Churchill wrote Whistle While You Work on. I'm getting goosebumps listening to you. Like, that is amazing. My, my first thought, that, that fleeting thought was, wow, if I sell these, I could retire. <laughs> and then that goes away because it's not mine. But just to have that. And then you go through and you, you look at the parts. And I noticed we did sections of both Snow White and Pinocchio. And on the viola part, evidently somebody was an artist. Because on the back of the manuscript, there's this little sketch or something. And then when we did Pinocchio years later, same viola part, somebody was drawing there again. And you're going, my God, this stuff has been sitting in a box for all these years, and it's maintained. And, you know, this is a legacy kind of a thing. Finally, for this part one recap, we have three sections from the Once Upon a Time presentation from Saturday Night. This one was hosted by Jeffrey Epstein of D23 and featured Andrew Kitsis, Adam Horowitz, Lana Perea, Jennifer Goodwin, and Josh Dallas. Uh, Only two of those were planned, or made public anyway. The other three were a surprise. And it was really interesting to hear them talk about uh, being Disney fans, along with talking about the show. And I'm not going to play anything in here that gives anything away about the next season or even hints at anything from the next season. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't want to spoil anybody. So instead we have Jennifer talking about what a huge Disney fan that she is. And uh, all three of the actors that were up there talking about what it's like acting after having kids. Since they, when they started on the show they didn't have any and now all three of them do. And then finally a little round of Disney favorites where Jeffrey asked each of them five questions about favorite Disney things. And they had to respond. It's really fun to hear. Hopefully you're able to keep up since they usually don't identify themselves. But it's a lot of fun. Um, (laughs) Some of you uh, out there may know this, but Jennifer here is a charter D23 member. No way! (laughs) 
But this is your first expo, right? It's my first expo. So what do you, what do you, what do you, what are you thinking? What have you enjoyed? Well, I don't know. I don't know if any of you were um, at the Disney Animation uh, panel. Woo! This is not work. This is coming home. This is... I know exactly where all of y'all are. <laughs> yeah, this is amazing. And you got to... Celebration. You got to see, like, a, a, a sculpted version of your animated self coming out. I did. Year. I've been wearing my Judy Hopps hat around. Um, yeah, it made me a bit emotional. I mean, honest to goodness, I got involved in all of this because I wanted someday to voice a Disney animated character. I mean, that's why, like, I started acting. That was so, to me. So you're saying Eddie and Adam were means to an end, really? I mean, means to an end. It's all one. It's all part of the same. <laughs> it's all, we're one big Disney family. Um, but yeah, it's been, but, like, that wouldn't have come if it hadn't been for once upon a time. And I mean, it's all, it's all intertwined. It's all magical. Now, you've all actually become parents in the past year. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can only imagine how that must affect how you your acting. <laughs> can you talk a little bit about sleepy <laughs> <laughs> and covered in food and? <laughs> uh, but how has it affected uh, playing with you know uh, with Henry or Emma, the characters who are, are your kids on the show? I mean, to me, the stakes skyrocketed. Like before, we had Oliver. I mean, everyone said you will never experience love you know, until you have a child. And I always thought that people were referring to the kind of love you had for your kid as um, being quantitative, like, oh, well, I will love this person more than I've loved anyone else. But it's it's its own kind of love that I don't think you probably can understand unless you have a child. And the second we had him, I know, like, the first scene we had with Emma, yeah, I did feel like, I don't know, it's almost like I kind of could quit acting because... I understood, like, my knee-jerk reaction to, like, anything regarding Emma is, like, to protect, you know, and to ease, and, you know, I, you know, making her smile becomes the objective, and, and I don't think I ever thought about, yeah, the thing, anything in the way that I now do, now that we have Oliver, so those scenes became easier to act, but also, like, more emotionally traumatizing in many ways because anything happens to Emma and I like need therapy. <laughs> you? Uh, well, I'm a real stepmother. Mm. <laughs> Not a mean one. Oh. You're a good one. You're a nice I'm one. a good one, yeah. <laughs> I have a great relationship with my three boys and um, it was new for me. I, I don't have children of my own, but... I have these three boys, and they feel like my own in some way. We've been together four years. My husband's here, so I'm looking at Fred. Four years. And it has—it's changed me, and I've grown so much, and I've learned so much, and how to balance family life at home now. I married four people, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and. Being a professional, you know, having a career, that's something I kind of had to learn very quickly, how to balance the two. And, um, and I'm still learning quite a bit, but when I work with Henry, every so often I think of Matthew, the oh. youngest. And it's probably because he's the youngest, and I met him when he was 
eight? I'm looking at nine. Nine. <laughs> so um, we're really, really close. And I'm, I'm close to all of them, but I'm really close to Matthew. And I'm also very close to Jared. But when I work with Jared slash Henry, I think of Matthew quite a bit. Mm. Yeah. He's just my little bunny. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. I, I think on that note, Good time for a round of Disney favorites. Uh, this is a game that they will all have to actually answer questions <laughs> on, by the way. We are in a room. Do we have any Disney geeks in the room? <laughs> so, um, after four seasons and an entire lifetime for Jennifer, um, I think you've all probably become pretty good Disney fans, if you weren't already before. So... We've got five big Disney fans on the stage. I'm going to do a round of Disney favorites. I'm not going to give you any time to think. I'm just going to go, you, 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 you. And you have to tell me what your favorite Disney blank is. All right. So, no heads up. Your favorite Disney character that you don't play, Jennifer. Sleepy Beauty. Josh. Oh, uh, uh, Rump Silskin. Dumbo. <laughs> Peter Pan. Um. <laughs> Nemo. Find <laughs> me. Um. Favorite Disney movie? A Snow White. Stop thinking. <laughs> Peter Pan. <laughs> Good choice. Eddie, can I have 
us to the end of this week's show. I hope you've enjoyed your little recap here of the first part of the D23 Expo for 2015. Next time we're going to have part two, so we'll be looking at more Disney legends, or at least hearing from more Disney legends. Also, the rest of the clips from Skywalking Through Neverland, some clips from the Silly Symphony celebration, and a couple of segments of the presentation that one of the animators from Walt Disney Animation Studios did in their pavilion. I was really glad that I was, happened to catch that as I walked by and was able to pick up some of that audio for you. I think you're going to really find that interesting. I'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Choose from titles like my book, Faith in the Magic Kingdom. You can pick that one or any of the 180,000 plus audiobooks as your free trial, and it's yours to keep whether you choose to continue your membership or not. To download your free audiobook today, go to storiesofthemagic.com audible. Again, that's storiesofthemagic.com audible for your free audiobook. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, created a website, or you're blogging, writing or performing music, art, whatever it may be, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. If you were at the D23 Expo, you're obviously a huge Disney fan, and so I'd actually even love to hear from you if you just attended the Expo, and I'd like to know what it was that you were most interested in hearing or seeing, and what you most enjoyed about it. I know there were some struggles with some lines and some miscommunications and things, but I want to know what your favorite part of it was. Big moment, small moment, doesn't matter. I also want to hear from and talk to people who've worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience, including the D23 Expo, and you've had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or if you've had any special Disney experience you want to share, I'd love to hear from you too. 
For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. In fact, thank you to Solothea for the very recent five-star review. I really appreciate it. In fact, that puts us at 19 ratings and reviews. We're not very far from the 100th episode, and I would love to have at least 20 reviews by the time we get to that 100th episode. Preferably 25. I mean, let's dream a little big here, but I'd like to have at least 20. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too. In fact, in this episode, you're going to have the links to the relevant episodes for Nostalgia and Skywalking Through Neverland, and you're definitely going to want to click through those and check those shows out. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. And if you're a new listener that's just starting with this episode, welcome. I am glad to have you here. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. And this tale most definitely continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.